0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hey guys, this is Stephen Haglin here, host of the Get The Discharge podcast. I want to thank you first and foremost for tuning in and supporting our show. Before we get started on today's episode, wanna to tell you about underdog fantasy. The NFL season is underway and unfortunately coming to a close, but you can still draft a new fantasy team each week on underdog fantasy to win cash prizes through their mobile app and user-friendly site. You can join the league and draft a team within minutes. Plus the folks at underdog are going to help you get started with a deposit match of up to $100 in bonus cash. When you sign up and make your first deposit with the promo code charged again, that's free money up to $100 in bonus cash bonus cash excuse me if you use the promo code charge that's c-h-a-r-g-e-d so just visit underdogfantasy.com the app store or the google play store and sign up with the code charged at underdog again that's up to 100 in bonus cash so go take advantage of that and thanks for tuning in and here's the show I was muted. Off to a hot start today. Uh, <laughs> welcome inside the Get These podcast, everyone. Uh, here to do our week fifteen Q and A. Uh, of course, this is coming after the uh, Chargers game this week because they played on Thursday night football. So excited to uh, talk about it with my guys. If you, if anyone comes in here and shares Spider Man spoilers, you will be instantly blocked. I have seen it, but uh, you know I know Tyler has seen it as well. But not everybody has seen it, so don't share spoilers. That being said, joining me today are my guys Tyler and Arjun. Alex is uh, in the chat, but he is flying back to the States today, so hope Alex is uh, having a safe day of flying. That being said, Arjun, thanks for joining us today, man. How are you doing?
2: Good. I'm um, back in Cali for the first time since, like, September uh, or August. Um, so, yeah, it's been really fun to just be able to go Let's like three layers of
1: uh, you know, pretty solid down here in California. There we go. Excited that uh, Arjun has made it home back safe as well. So uh, Tyler is here as well. Tyler, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Arjun, welcome back. I think it's about 40 degrees
3: here, but it's still probably 40 degrees better than what it was in Michigan. Um, so that's a really good start to, you know, holiday vacation, I guess. Yeah, no Spider-Man spoilers. I have seen it.
1: Although I was surprised that Uncle Ben was Mephisto the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well done well done um you know according to uh joe buck it was really cold in southern california this week so...
3: oh geez i wanted to um... <laughs> beat this shit out of him for saying that what a stupid comment the dumbest thing you yeah. said
1: at that point unbelievable yeah it was uh, a, a bad game for broadcasting purposes for sure Jeez. Oh, um so I, I know, you know, the, the three of us together have not talked much about, you know, the fourth down, uh, conversation, which of course, uh, was all over the Twitter sphere, uh, on Thursday night, Friday afternoon, I think it's still going on, uh, especially after that video of Brandon Staley, that the chargers put up where he, you know, he was defending his, uh, his stance and the decisions that he made. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some of, uh, Tyler and Arjun's takeaways from the game. And then we'll we'll take some questions. So uh, excited for this one. That being said, Tyler, we'll start with you. Um, you know, you can talk about the coaching decisions if you want. But what are kind of your uh, big picture takeaways from uh, the Thursday night football game?
3: The okay. So outside of those decisions, which I do want to get into, uh, my biggest takeaway is that the Chargers can absolutely take it to this team for the next five, 10 years. You know, obviously, the, the Chiefs can change, move their roster around, whatever. But I, I have zero worries about this team. And I want this this Chiefs team, again, full health. Now, hopefully, the Chargers are at full health and no COVID issues. But these Chiefs, this Chiefs team is pretty beatable. And the notion that their defense won them the day, they played, they got beaten 90% of the time. Like The Chargers were absolutely taking it to the Chiefs on offense. The Chiefs just made some really good plays when it counted. But for the most part, the Chargers had their way with that team. And, you know, we're two drop touchdowns away from calling it a, you know, a 42 to whatever win. Because, I mean, they had their way despite and, and congratulations, honestly, to Trey Pipkins, Storm Norton and that offensive line and Corey Lindsley for being the worst graded player along that offensive line, which, you know, I'm sure Steven will know more about that than I do. <laughs> but um, I mean, congratulations on everyone who showed up on offense. I want this Chiefs team again. That's my biggest takeaway is this Chiefs team is definitely beatable. You know, I'm sure Mahomes can put up more points in the future. Sure. But I think this Chiefs team is very beatable, even with Chris Jones. And I want to see them again in the playoffs.
1: Yeah. You know, there was a lot of talk about the Chiefs defense leading into the matchup. And, you know, even during the game, you know, a- after the first couple of series, it was like, wow, this Chiefs defense is playing so well. And it's like, <laughs> are they really, though? Because the Chargers are doing whatever they want. You know, Mm -hmm. in terms of getting yards and they're getting into, you know, the low red zone on every single drive, it felt like. So I thought that the narrative surrounding the Chiefs defense during the game, both on the broadcast and during and on Twitter uh, by the national media was kind of outrageous. And uh, obviously losing Chris Jones hurts. Right. But, you know, the way that the Chargers offensive line dominated that game, you know, that is something that I think the Chargers that. All of us here, you know, Chargers fans should be looking forward to in the future because this offensive line playing without Rashawn Slater, playing with two backups on the right side, went out and completely dominated a division rival defensive line. So, um, you know, I said on Thursday, that was kind of my big picture. Um, They only allowed six total pressures, zero sacks, zero quarterback hits, which is just anything. We all heading into this match without Rashawn Slater that there would be zero sacks, zero quarterback hits on Justin Herbert allowed by the offensive line. All of us would take that. I think all of us would probably assume that the Chargers would have won. But the offensive line was a real bright spot for me. Uh, Arjun, what's kind of your big picture takeaway from this game?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure we're going to talk about the fourth down stuff. And, you know, my video next week is pretty much just going to be revolved around that. But, I mean, I, I think Tyler said it best. Like, we can hang with this team, like, you know, if we're being real, like even the PFF guy talked to, like who people say hate the Chargers, they said the Chargers should have won that game. It's just you know, unfortunate things happened in in key situations where yeah. you know you can't like you just can't make those mistakes. Um, but but really, like to me, I just think from this game we learned that we we have a head coach and quarterback who theoretically should be with us for the next. However long Justin Herbert's gonna play, I mean I think Brandon Steele is an amazing coach. I think he made all the right decisions. Now, the one aspect which I'm gonna I'm gonna give him some slack for because he's a first year head coach. He's only been a coordinator for one year. Or so even as a coordinator, you get some say over like your roster personnel, but man, like his his decisions bring in Trey Marshall and Eric Banks and all, like his guys are just not not worked out and like I hate to say it but like I feel like Trey Marshall and, and Tavon Campbell really lost us that game they just picked on Campbell put him in those situations where they would have Hill going underneath Kelsey going um on a deep corner or you know flip up and Campbell just wasn't able to read that you know there were a lot I felt like there were a lot of communication errors and when they tried to play man without Derwin I mean Trey Marshall and Travis Kelsey just is a travesty at this point, right? No pun intended. So I I was happy with the way the offense played until they got to the red zone. Um, but yeah, I mean, Brandon Staley and Justin Herbert are the real deal. Looks
1: like yep. we got some uh, bad connection issues. Tyler, are you are you having these connection issues with Arjun too?
3: Uh, yeah, currently I'm having a couple of connection issues with Arjun. You're pretty clear.
2: Okay. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Why? why don't you guys talk a little bit? I'll I'll change my network real quick. Yeah, no problem. Um,
1: No, I I do agree with where, you know, Arjun was going with the the roster management. I talked about that last Mm -hmm. week. I talked about that, uh, you know, against the Broncos and the personnel decisions. And, you know, heading into this matchup with the Chiefs, like you need as many healthy bodies in the secondary as possible. And so, you know, I totally understand uh, a Sunday Samuel Jr.'s injury, you know, concern with, um, you know, the concussion. And you never really know, like, how that's going to go. But you have Alohi Gilman, who has been, you know, who was dubbed by Brandon Staley as a serious injury. He was really banged up. He should have been placed on IR, like, flat out. And they should have been able to bring in another body. And they didn't. And so... You know, everybody, you know, on Twitter is like, uh, you know, I, I laughed at Bucky Brooks saying like, oh, the Chiefs have adjusted to, or wait, no, that was Lewis Riddick. Lewis Riddick saying that the Chiefs have adjust, adjusted to the two high schemes. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're playing a team that lost Durbin James in the middle of the game that only has two other healthy safeties, one of which is a practice squad talent. Right. And you lose, you don't have Asante Samuel Jr., who's the team's top corner. The guy who replaced him was not on the field in the fourth quarter or overtime. And so you have another practice squad corner uh, going up against Tyree Kill and Miko Hardman. And as Alex is pointing out, like Michael Davis was chilling on Byron Pringle the whole game. So I said this yesterday, my biggest and really only criticism of Brandon Staley's decision making the last few weeks has been his roster management. And then in this game, you have to put Michael Davis on Travis Kelsey or Tyree Kill. As soon as you lose Derwin James, that should have been the move. And instead, he was hanging out on Byron Pringle until really overtime. And then by that point, you know, the game was lost. So uh, you can criticize Brandon Staley for the fourth downs, and we can get into that right now. But for me, the biggest criticism of Staley was how he used Michael Davis uh, and didn't really make any adjustments with Michael Davis until the overtime period.
3: Yeah, I believe last time was a, you know, a combo of Campbell and Davis, although they had Samuel Jr., they had Gilman, so you could do a little bit more. Arjun, do you know... How the responsibilities were broken down with covering Kelsey. I don't. I
2: didn't ask you to prep for that, so I don't know if you have it in front of you. Um, I I do not. I mean, based on the, what I, we. Sorry. When I looked two. at on
1: Pro Football Focus on the cover stats, it was uh, uh, Drew Tranquil had a few receptions against him on Kelsey. Um, it was Trey Marshall. It was you know it was kind of the other players. Sorry to interrupt you, Arjun. No. Nah,
2: um. I guess one thing I could do. Let me just. I can check the like the breakdown of the coverages. Like Chargers, they did play a, like a majority of cover one. So forty three. So they played thirty one snaps out of seventy one in cover one. Um, you know, eight snaps in cover four, twelve in cover six. So they were trying to mix up their coverages, but nothing really seemed to work as well when Derwin James went out.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know that losing Derwin like I said it, it is is a game breaker and there's that stat from uh Bill Barnwell that like 75% of Travis Kelsey's production came when uh Derwin James was off the field so um obviously losing Derwin is a, is a game changer but they didn't even have any options like they didn't even have the option to put in another safety after that because I mean they could have been in Ben DeLuca if they wanted to I don't think he played a single snap on defense but Um, you know, just the roster management there was, was a concern. And Omar, uh, is asking if they, if it's an experience and it will get better, (laughs) if it'll get better. I think it will get better. I think it's just him trying to figure out that aspect of, of head coaching. As Arjun points out, you know, he's only been a coordinator for one year. He's only been in the NFL for five years at this point. So I I think that part of his, uh, ability as a head coach will definitely improve later on.
3: Yeah, not one can hope so. And they will have you know, their normal seven picks plus a fourth round comp pick plus three seventh round comp picks, which I'm not saying that's, you know, excellent DB, DB depth, but, you know, you can get like a Mark Webb in the seventh round. If yeah. You can get a... Who was taken in the fourth round this year? Was uh, Adibo? Is he a third rounder? Uh, Adibo was the third rounder. Okay. Well, generally, you can get some the depth there. So I also think sure. that he will find some depth and even if it's a coaching... I, as long as it's not a hey, I worked with these guys before. Let's bring them in there and make them play sort of thing and not bring in anybody else thing. But we'll see. Like, what would force him to change bringing in his guys? I, I mean, nothing yet, except for the fact that it's not really working. So I, I don't see why he would change that, though, the only thing.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I don't, I don't have anything to add
1: there. <laughs> well, we... Uh... I mean it's not super uncommon for coaches when you have in the middle of the season injuries to bring in guys you're familiar with. Um it's just the Eric Banks thing, Trey Marshall, like it it shouldn't be your first, you know, your first option there. Um that being said, let's get into the fourth downs because I know everybody's, mm-hmm. you know, still kind of talking about that. Um Arjun, can you tell us kind of your viewpoint from, you know, an, an analytics standpoint on uh, Brandon Staley's general philosophy of going for it on fourth downs and how it kind of worked out in this matchup.
2: Yeah, so I mean, before I get into like what the fourth down decisions actually were, I think I need to clarify some things for people that are just not like educated on on the subject because I think like you know it's it's a rec- it's a new trend going for it on fourth downs, having like a model for that. So number one, you know, Brandon Staley. I think Brandon Sealy is more aggressive than he is like following a model. I think if it's, if the model is like, okay, there's an equal, there's a similar win probability to go for it and to, to punt it. I think he goes for it most of the time. That doesn't make him, I don't think that necessarily makes him like a smart or like a sharp head coach. Like sharp is the term we use in the analytics community, but him being aggressive makes him more sharp than, you know, 85, 90% of the other head coaches. So that's, I think that's where, you know, people are not like, didn't really appreciate it. Like they, he, they thought he was being too aggressive. Now, with that being said, another thing that people don't understand is that, you know, analytic guys or like the, the guys who are talking to Staley in his headset, they can't change a model in the middle of the game. Like it's again, it's, it's like against the league rules. Like you can't code, you can't change models in the middle of a game because it's against the rules. So these guys, the analytics guys, the department, they're creating these models before, like the whole week, that's what their job is, create these models, talk with Salie, and they'll have, they'll just have like a piece of paper and they'll have like for each down and distance at each yard line, this is the, this is the go rate, right? right? If they were to change the model, like I'm like, I'm sure a lot of the you know community outside of analytics doesn't code. So you know, like they're training this model on years of data. So the the amount of time it's going to take to create a new model is more than 15 minutes, which is what halftime is. So you're not even going to get to change the model to where you can use it. So whatever Staley had coming into the game is what he's going, going to use. So I'm sure that the model, especially against the Chiefs, is going to say to be more aggressive than it is going to be to be against any other team. I can't say why it's against the rules because I don't know. But, like, that's just that's just what the rule is. You can't code during a game. And even if you can, I don't know how effective it's going to be because drives, you got 40 seconds in between plays. Now, with all of that being said, I 100% support, you know, everything Brandon Saley did. Every single public model, you can take ESPN, Ben Baldwin's model, uh, New York Times, you know, PFF. Um, what else is uh, next-gen stats, football outsiders? Every single model had every decision being correct for Brandon Staley. Now, you know, I- I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on some of them, but, I mean, I-, I just I couldn't find a fault in what Brandon Staley did because when it comes down to it, all Brandon Staley did was try to make a one-possession game a two-possession game. Every single chance he had to kick a field goal the first drive, that would have gone from zero to three points. At halftime, which is the big controversial controversial one, he would have gone from four to seven. That's still one. That's a one possession to one possession, and then the fourth and two, it's a one point game to a four point game. So like you're not moving the needle as much as going from a one possession game to a two possession game. So I'm just confused on like you're play. That's that's an Anthony Lynn play style. You're playing not to lose. You're taking the easy points, but as we all know, you have to score points to beat the Chiefs. And I'm sorry for making this so long, but I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, like, like you know, Brandon Staley has repeatedly stated he wants to be aggressive. And if you can't trust Justin Herbert to get two yards against one of the worst, like a below-average defense missing its best player, then you know either you as a fan don't have faith in Justin Herbert, or you just don't trust this offense for some reason, which has been putting up points th- like repeatedly throughout the season. I'm I'm sorry for making that so long.
3: No, that's great. Go for as long as you need to. I guess one thing I want clarified so they can't like they are barred from coding and adjusting during the game or they just can't because there's no way to run through that much math and coding during a game. Yeah,
2: I don't I don't think they can. I mean, like I don't know how you I don't I don't I'm pretty sure you can't code. And even if you can, hmm. like you're not going to be able to get the data loaded in and do mm-hmm. whatever you want with it while the game is going on. Plus, you know, I don't even think they have Wi-Fi in the booths or whatever, right? <laughs> it so is like, bad
3: Wi-Fi, it's so fine. <laughs> yeah,
2: terrible. It's or like awful. everywhere. So that, you know, that's, you know, people were like, you know, criticizing me on Twitter, like arguing with me, like, you know, this Chargers should have realized they were not converting on fourth downs and changed their way of thinking. Well, their way of thinking is combining this model that they made before the game with, mm-hmm. you know, where they are in the field and like how staley's feeling about the game the chargers were winning the whole game of course their offense is moving the ball down the field it's not like they were going for it at the 40 yard line they were going for it inside the goal line which means they drove all the way down there mm-hmm. i don't know it was it was a heat i replied to a lot of tweets on thursday <laughs> and friday so I have, i do have a lot to say about
1: this no absolutely i um You know, I think the thing that some people are missing in terms of you know taking the points is like this is this is what Brandon Staley has done you know consistently throughout you know um, every time that they get in the low red area if he has a fourth and short he's going for it you know and you know you can talk about the bad process or whatever if you want I think it was a sound process I said this on Thursday night with Alex especially you know what nobody really wants to talk about here is that. You know, the Chargers were two for five on on fourth down, but if it wasn't for a freak accident with Donald Parham, they would have been three for five and they would have started the game up seven zero. So, you know, it's it's a sound process. It was poor execution, you know, here and there. Um, but I have no issues with the way that Brandon Stadie called this game. You know, I think at the end of the day, you have to score touchdowns against the Chiefs. And I know that. You know, some people feel like the Chiefs offense isn't the same Chiefs offense, and I totally get that. But I agree with Daniel Jeremiah when he was saying that you never know with this kind of offense, with this kind of skill talent, when they are going to have an avalanche of points or if they are going to have an avalanche of points. And then after, like, you know, after the third quarter, you don't have Derwin James, you don't have Asante Samuel Jr. You have all these injuries in the secondary. And so I don't know if that influence daily's <laughs> decision making on fourth downs. But I think you have to be aggressive and you have to try to build a multiple touchdown lead against the Chiefs as soon as you can. So I have no issues with it. Um you know you I have an issue with the play call that they had on the fourth and two in the second half, you know, going to Jared Cook in that instance. Um but I'm okay with what they called with Donald Parham. I'm okay with what they called before the half because Keenan Allen was wide open in the end zone if if uh dirty Dan Sorensen doesn't you know bat that pass down we're probably having a different conversation too so um I have no issues with the decision making I do have an issue with the play call in the second half going to Jared Cook because frankly he's not a player that I want to be see being used in those situations anymore um but I think it was a sound process by Brandon Staley and again you know I was totally okay with the decisions that he made
3: yeah no I completely agree And uh, the other side of you know i uh, take the analytics out of it people were questioning whether Staley understood like the human element of the game and everything going on. And yeah. he was just like blind to analytics. Like, oh, it says this, so I'll do it. Which is funny because a couple of weeks ago, he didn't go for it against the Vikings. So it's not like he's always going for it. It's not like he's right. never punted. And Daniel Jeremiah might've pointed out. He said, yeah, they were conservative in that game and they lost. But, you know, Staley understood these calls above like with the analytics, but also above it too. And all the way through. So, you know, I, I was trying to think of the human element of this. And I wanted to start kind of macro and work micro here. So like big picture and Staley is, 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 referenced the history of the team and you know, what this team's about and the chief's history and everything. He knows that the chargers choke away games. And if you don't agree with me, you haven't watched Chargers football <laughs> in even just this year or one year, but really throughout their history, they choke away games and you can't, you have to take the win here. You can't give it away. I would rather Brandon Staley lose this game because he was going for it on fourth down than watch Anthony Lynn punt it away at home last year and still lose the game. So granted, that was a you know go for it on fourth down versus field goal option. But still, I'd rather you go for it and then lose than just give it away because the Chargers are chokers and you can't be that as an organization. You have to grow somewhere. You can't be the same Chargers team. If you narrow the focus even more, the Chargers have only beaten the Chiefs four times during the Telesco era. And if you don't, if you don't count that meaningless game last year, where the Chargers weren't didn't need to win and the Chiefs weren't playing any players. And three of those games took bold decisions. You have a Weddle fake punt, a two-point conversion to Williams, and then this year against the Chiefs, already this year, where they went for it three or four times, or whatever, and got 14 extra points out of it, and they won there. So again, understand, you know, I don't understand when people are like, oh, he doesn't understand you know, his team or he doesn't understand the human element. Yeah, he's understanding it at every level right now. Let's go even more, more narrow. Up until that point in this game, the Chargers were sixth in EPA per play on fourth down, heading into the game. And before that, they were converting. If you don't count the special teams gaff, they were converting on two thirds of their fourth down conversions. Mm -hmm. Now, the last like half of the season or so wasn't as good at fourth down. But overall, you know, you go into that game knowing that if you're given three chances to convert based on your history, at least this year, you'll probably get two of them. And, you know, for added comfort heading into that game, you know, the last time you went for it on fourth down in the red zone, I really from the five or whatever it was, you scored to Keenan Allen wide open against a good Bengals defense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, and, and, you know, even narrow the focus even more to just this game, the calls themselves in general, either before the fourth down, or on fourth down, we're good outside of the play to Cook, which I haven't watched all the way through. But obviously, targeting Cook in the instances isn't great, right? Uh, but in general, everything before the fourth downs and up on that fourth down were solid. Williams wide open, drop touchdown. Parham wide open, freak accident. Cook was wide open on third down, I believe. You know, should have had a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Allen was wide open on that fourth down. So in that game, you know, the Chiefs, you know, your guys were open. You could execute. But they didn't, but the Chiefs weren't stopping the Chargers right 90% of the time. So you have your confidence in your guys to at least get one because the line was blocking, the calls generally were working. It just one guy didn't execute. But if you're if you're if you're the odds of them making a mistake every single time and not converting must have been so low. Like if you're expecting two thirds, the odds of them going, you know, and not getting any red zone touchdowns, it must be really low, especially considering you know what you're watching. They only needed one break. And then in that game, again, more human elements. Daly knew that James was 100% and that at some point the floodgate was going to open. And it did. And they did the Chiefs would score. They did it last time they played, right? Where they were at like 21 or 24 unanswered points. He was right. And then you want to get those points as early as you can because you know that Keenan Allen's now banged up. Uh, Austin Eckler was banged up. Mike Williams is banged up. Donald Parham was knocked out. So I don't want to try to be playing catch up at the end of the game, when my guys are potentially not even healthy at that point, or they're pulled yeah. out of the game, do it while James can be on the field. Do it while Eckler is, is hanging in there. You know, by the end of the first drive, they had two players knocked out of the game almost. One definitely, and Williams was hurt. Allen was hurt what, in, the, in the first half. Go for it then, because at the end of the game, when you, <coughs> beat up, you might not be able to. So go for it then. So I really just don't understand how people were like, oh, well, Staley just didn't. You know, he's only an analytics guy. No, I think from everything from the history of the team to what they did this year to what they did in that game and leading up into that game, I think at every single level it checks out. And so, you know, if Arjun says from an analytics perspective, it makes sense and it does at every model and from a team history perspective and the and the identity of this team, it makes sense. I have zero issues with the, with the idea. So I want this team to win. I want this. I love Brandon Staley going for it. It didn't work, but I'll take it because guess what? Stephen wouldn't have been watching the Browns win or the win against the Browns in the stands if he hadn't gone for it. We wouldn't we we would not be in the playoff hunt. I don't think if they went for it against the Bengals. I know they won by more than one touchdown, but that changes the outcome and it, it changes the way the game flows. And who knows? Like maybe one, you know, they're closer, they'll go for it more times. I don't know.
1: So I'm completely on board with it, and you know, I see nothing against it. Honestly, I really don't. Yeah, to that point of, of him not being able to feel out a game. In that Browns game, he went for a fourth down on like their own 30 yard line. I'm fairly yeah. certain that the analytics did not tell him to go for that uh play against the Browns. So, you know, we've seen Brandon Staley kick in some instances, you know, when you know the fourth down uh suggestion was a strong go. We've seen him punt before when it was a strong go against the Vikings. So I think this was him being specific to this game, as opposed to him being like, Oh, I'm only going with the analytics. So um yeah. You know I definitely disagree with that one. And that it's it's funny that when somebody is really going for it on fourth down, you know, the anti-analytics hive comes out and says he's only trusting analytics. And it's like, well, yeah, he's watching yeah. the rest of the season, like right. the other games and decisions that Brandon Staley has made prove to me that he can feel out each specific game. And this was him doing that again because he knew that he had to score touchdowns.
2: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the the way I I saw it is like people who who just who, who aren't educated or just don't understand the the decision making, they'll only they'll like the decision if it works, they'll hate it if it fails. It, it's pretty much like that's what it is. If they kick the field goal and we lost, like the analytics community would have been like, this is where Brandon Saad lost the game. Yeah. and I mean, if I'm being if I'm being honest, like I think I forget who it was. I think it was Jeff Schwartz. But he was like the Chargers. Are eight and six instead of nine and five because of not taking the points. Well, the Chargers are eight and six instead of six and eight because they didn't take the points or they right. were aggressive against the Browns. And I, I guess the the one last thing I wanted to touch on was the two-point conversion because that it was like a sneaky discussion that people were having on Twitter. Like, oh, like if the Chargers were so aggressive, why didn't they go for two to make it a nine-point game? Well, to put it bluntly, the 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 difference between being up seven and being up eight is larger than the difference between being up eight and being up nine like and there's a human element to it also if you're up nine, you know you know Kansas City's gonna have to be more aggressive than they are because now it's it's actually like a two possession game while being up eight is like metaphorically a two possession game because you have to score it twice. So if you're up nine, you're gonna force the chiefs to throw against Trey Marshall. And I'm pretty sure Tavon Campbell were out. At, was that at that time? Yeah. So they're gonna score quick, most likely, and then they're gonna if they score again, they're gonna be winning. While if they score versus down eight, we have a chance to you know kind of kill the clock and do whatever we need to do. And you know you're forcing, you're still forcing them to score twice, which you know in this instance they did, but. You know, the, the analytics and the win probability stuff, it doesn't see a huge difference from being up eight versus nine, but there is a big difference from being up seven versus being up eight. And there is a human element to it also in terms of, you know, the way Andy raising and a call his plays. So I didn't see okay. any issue with that either. So in ter- if we look at the big picture, I had no complaints with how Brandon Sealy called the game in terms of decision-making on fourth downs and two-point conversions. It's just the execution and, you know, some iffy play calling um, here and there were, was what, you know, led to the Chargers downfall at the end of the day.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: yeah as todd points out you never know how the game does unfold if they take the field goals if they miss the, yeah if they it, miss the two-point conversion then you're still up seven so uh, you know it, it's funny right you, like you take the points to get the pat to put it up eight but you don't take the points yeah you know on fourth down so um just as funny there um all right well so we'll open it up for questions now as we always do uh the super chat feature is enabled so uh, if you want to ensure that your question gets answered, please use that. Uh, otherwise, if you have questions about, you know, the playoff push, about uh, anything else related to the Chargers, if you want to know about Spider-Man or Marvel or whatever the case, Lord of the Rings, that Tyler's no spoilers, no spoilers, of course, but uh, send those questions in now and we will uh, get to them.
3: I have a question then. So I understand going and So after everything we've said and after everything that I said, understand the history of the team, yada, yada. Now, out of that game, now that they're past that game, they were not doing great on fourth down heading into it. And now they failed on 10 of their last 17. I guess Argent, do you think that will change things moving forward? Or do they still stick to this same aggressive approach? I'm sure it's kind of game to game as well. But, you know, as they're drifting away from being more successful, granted, one game really shouldn't change that. But again, failed on last last 17 i'm curious do you think there's any impact on their decision-making moving forward or do you think it's just kind of the same
2: um i I do think it's going to be the same i think i think brandon staley has one of the best understandings of going for it on fourth down i think i think john harbaugh is still the king there but i think staley understands the idea that going for it on fourth downs every fourth down is an independent down. It's an independent trial. It doesn't have any relation to the one before it or the <clears throat> any of the ones after it. So I don't I don't see them making any changes on fourth down just because at the end of the day, like we talked about, it was a parm touchdown and a good play by Sorensen that kept the Chargers from winning this game. And everyone's saying Brandon Sealey is the next Bill Belichick. But because Daniel Sorensen had, you know, one of the most you know important plays of the Chiefs season. And he batted down a pass, and Donald Parham hit his head on the ground. We're now talking about whether the Chargers should be less aggressive. When that, and you know, if you look in the past, being aggressive on fourth down is what gave them two wins. So I can't see them making any changes. You know, maybe they they let up a little bit against the Texans on like more of a toss up situation where like punting is kind of equal to going for it because you know your defense should have a field day versus the Texans, but. When it comes to the playoffs, I mean, I would expect this team to be even more aggressive than they were in the regular season, because now it's, it's, you know, all or nothing. Yeah, Yeah,
1: I think it's a good point. Interesting point and observation. Look, we flipped the tables. I'm not coughing as much today. It's Arjun's turn to cough apparently. So I've uh, passed the cough through the YouTube channel to somebody else. So uh, sorry about that Arjun. Um, Interesting point here by Thomas though. Um, And this was uh, something that I think, you know, people point to Mm -hmm. about uh, Aaron Rodgers in in some (laughs) aspect. You know, the aggressive decisions are making deposits for later in the season slash the playoffs. You could also push that to uh, future seasons. I don't think I've ever seen Herbert do a hard count on fourth down yet. If -hmm. they really need it, it might work now. So they've done a hard count a couple of times when it's like that dummy, we're going to go for this, not really, we're going to punt kind of thing. But this is an interesting one because, you know, I look back at, you know, Aaron Rodgers' early career. And then, you know, they were an aggressive fourth down team too. And so I do kind of, I definitely see what Thomas is saying here in terms of a hard count, paying attention, you know, down the road. Uh, Herbert definitely needs to work on this though. You know, his hard count isn't uh, as great as, you know, the homes, the Rodgers, who have granted well, obviously uh, a lot more, reps. but uh, this was an interesting point by Thomas. Yeah. I think the
3: only time I've seen them get a team to jump, without the, you know, the defense just flat out running offsides or whatever, is against the Raiders, and that was just before the the, the quarter was expiring. Otherwise, I don't recall mm-hmm. anything. I, I wish they would, though, because if you're going to believe any team's going to go for it on fourth down, and they're actually going to snap the ball, it's the Chargers. And, and a couple yeah. of times, they haven't gone for it. They'll do that whole you know fake yada-yada thing that Rivers and the Chargers would always do, and that was kind of frustrating. But yeah, I would love to see them incorporate that, because most of the, I mean, I think every fourth down conversion in this game was what fourth and two or less. It wasn't like a fourth and nine against the chiefs where it really doesn't matter. You know, I would love to see them incorporate that more. I think they could, but yeah, that's not, not really happening right now. And I feel like that's an easy fix, but does it just come down to the fact that Herbert's just not a loud person? Is that just kind of (laughs) (laughs) like, like, is he, you know, maybe he's doing it. No one can hear him. I don't know. He's not a quiet (laughs) person. Like he can be loud. It's just, you know, he's not exactly, he doesn't have that, you know, voice inflection yeah. or whatever.
2: I know Corey Lindsley has done stuff where he like turns the ball sometimes and like, he yeah. doesn't get called. I, I don't think he back, that's a penalty on him, uh, but he has like drawn, I think one or two off sides or like neutral zone infractions on that. So, you know, I was hoping Lindsley would help Herbert with some of that hard count stuff and like, you know, what yeah. Aaron Rodgers did, but it's, you know, still year one in the partnership still putting up points if 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 the worst thing that the offense is doing is not drawing people offside I mean I'll I'll take that over you know having a bad
1: offense year one yeah absolutely so I, I that was an interesting point by Thomas for sure a um, couple people asking about Donald Parham so um, yesterday he posted on Instagram that he was better <laughs> that he was uh, resting up at the hospital it seems like he has been uh, discharged. So, uh, you know, those are obviously good things, right? It, it seems like he's trending in a more positive direction. Uh That being said, I, I personally would be pretty surprised if we see him play this year. Um, You know, Tyler pointed out, you know, the, the phrasing or the use of the phrase, I'll be come back better than ever. Um, That's generally associated with like season ending kind of stuff. And, you know, that would make sense to me, given how, uh, that concussion and, and the brain injury really kind of panned out. You saw the arm tremors that were happening when he was on the stretcher. Um, you know, he was knocked out cold for a good 15 seconds. So I'd be pretty surprised if Donald Parham played the rest of the season. Um, but it's obviously good news that he's doing better. He's able to move. Uh, you know, you saw, that you saw them uh, wiggling his fingers, moving his legs around on the field that the broadcast was showing. So all good signs for uh, Donald Parham uh, over the last 24 hours, but I, like mm-hmm. I said, I would be surprised if he played again this year. Yeah, that
3: was one of the worst injuries I can remember. Another scary one being, I think it was Julio Ladai getting up from the game against the Broncos and like having like like a full body like movement walk. That was an yeah. awful one too. But yeah, that went to Parham and the, just the general coverage of that, which we've already kind of talked about, was was awful so if he doesn't come back completely understand you know i hope it doesn't end his career in any way right um but i totally understand why he wouldn't come back thankfully they do have you know Trey mckinney steven anderson uh jared cook i guess (laughs) i I, i'm curious if they bring up camp moyer at that point or if they just roll with neighbors and somebody else um but yeah no best wishes to him and um yeah, that, that was just really rough to watch. And for I, I guess I don't I wasn't there at the game. Um, Rike from Hard Bowl Club said that the Chiefs were doing the tomahawk chant or whatever while he oh. was laying on the ground and unconscious, or being carted off the field or whatever. Um, I don't know what it is about opposing fans this year, but I believe when it was the Cowboys and Murray got hurt, they were cheering. I believe the Vikings did it as well. I forget who got hurt in that game. Um, just awful from the opposing fans and people need to do better because that's, that's disgusting.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I hope Broncos fans aren't like that when I go in the second and obviously I don't have <laughs> any, I don't have any injuries occur, but yeah, that that's, uh, that's not very nice. You know, that that's a real NFL player who like, you know, potentially could have, you know, ended his career on that play. Yeah.
1: Um, interesting question here from uh, Dustin Bradshaw. I know somebody asked about the special teams, uh in the specific game we really only saw the one kick return from Andre Roberts and the one punt so not a ton of special teams from either side in that one so obviously i think you you say that that game was a a good th- good thing for the chargers but um overall what do you guys make of Ty Long this year i know a lot of people have criticized how long he takes to get the ball off i would be lying if i said i had like a huge understanding of <laughs> what makes an effective punter or not other yeah. than Hey, this guy can kick the ball really far and really high. Um, Mm -hmm. So, Arjun, what do you make of uh, Tai Long this year? And I think he's—is he a free agent after this year?
2: I believe so. He, yeah, he might be. So, Um, um, Tai Long, yeah. I mean, like, it's it's hard it's hard to fault him for anything. Like, I think that pun block unit is so bad, but you know they're playing a lot of young guys. But I mean. Like to me, at the end of the day, he he just hasn't been good, and even some of the punts, like I haven't seen anything like amazing. I don't think the, the Gunners have helped him statistic wise, like the the actual mm-hmm. like net yards. You know, there's there's a really fun Twitter account called Puntalytics, and <laughs> you know they do analytics That's on punters. Awesome. <laughs> Weirdly enough, Thomas Morstead, like when he got cut from the Jets, he actually like reposted one of their graphs. So you know they have some traction. From NFL NFL punters, but for what it's worth, Ty Long shows up last in you know EPA generated from punts. Um, you know it's it's just not a great thing that he's that he has going right now. Um, and I, I don't know. I would give him like a four on on a scale just because like I've watched like guys like AJ Cole and like Corey Bohorquez, you know, who absolutely like you know launch punts into the stratosphere, and I haven't seen that from you know Ty Long. And I do, I do agree that like his windup is kind of long, and that kind of puts some more strain on on the pass block or the punt blocking unit, which is already very leaky. Wait, there we go. Jeez, oh my gosh. Um,
3: look, as far as the windup or whatever, what makes a good punter? Again, I don't really know. People criticize him for it, so I I believe it. Obviously, there are issues with punt protection and him not getting off fast enough. So there's probably something there. I, I guess for me, I don't usually ever see him at a point where he can flip the field or pin a team at a certain spot. Maybe he does it at the same rate as everybody else. But to me, if you think of like the charges history and like, i um, like Matt is and, and how he would pin, like he almost single-handedly beat the Raiders because he was pinning them several times at the one or the two or yeah. whatever, you know, they just don't have that kind of weapon in him. Like I think long, is a serviceable punter, but I don't think he's a weapon. I don't think yeah. he's a guy that is, you know, an extension of the defense and really pinning teams. I just don't really think he does that that well, you know, and again, you know, some cover some of it is coverage, right? The, the actual punt coverage, they need to get down there and stop the ball from going into the end zone or whatever, but he doesn't really strike me as a guy that can really be an extension of this defense and be a weapon for them. So, you know, if anything, he's, you know, average or below average. So you know, I don't dislike him, I think he's fine, but they could be a lot better. And I hope they do check out a way to upgrade that this offseason.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I felt like that uh, they had the one guy in for competition, which lasted like a week. (laughs) It wasn't even like a legitimate competition. Um, I I agree with what Tyler said. I I think that Tai Long is fine. I think he's, you know, average. Um, I also definitely agree that the punt block team is not doing him any favors in in terms of like elevating his play, uh, making him look a little better. But he's definitely not a weapon. He's definitely not an above average to high end punter. Um, So I know a lot of people who are from San Diego that are Chargers fans want them to draft the the punter from uh, San Diego State. I'm not about drafting specialists ever. Uh, I think you can, you know, sign a veteran punter or sign an undrafted free agent punter, um, but definitely bring in some competition next year. If you want to give Tai Long like a one year contract to to see kind of where that ends up next year, then I'm totally cool with that.
3: Overall, though, I am—I don't know what it's been the last few weeks, but I'm generally excited about how the special teams is sort of. Kind of figuring it out. I didn't realize that the Packers are now the worst team in special teams DVOA. Yeah. I just, I never would have guessed. I didn't know the special teams is all that bad. Chargers are thirty first now, but Andre Roberts, like that's a priority resign next year to me. I think Hopkins potentially is one. I know it's not a huge sample size, but only two missed extra points, only one missed field goal, only thirteen field goals attempted, and the only miss was was outside of fifty. So that's not great. But if you have a guy who can hang around like eighty five percent. Just keep him, just keep him. That's fine. We can take that, especially because this team is going to go for it apparently on fourth down, uh, more
1: than you know, intended. Yeah. I, I I didn't see all the I didn't see there were a bunch of comments about the uh Matt Ariza punter from San Diego State. So um that was funny. For the um, record, sh- I am totally drafting a punter if I can. Not
3: in the fifth <laughs> round, like Drew Kazer, but I mean, listen. Kazer was a fifth round pick. I'm, I didn't or know a that. Six, or a sixth round pick, but he was definitely a draft pick. Is either fifth or sixth. They had a comp pick, I believe. And was it was either good, him though. and then Watt, or Watt and him. Yeah, that, that's a whole that's a whole other history of the team <laughs> thing. But I'll do, listen. I'm the guy who drafted Justin Tucker first um, in our fantasy draft, so that's kind of my philosophy on kickers: is get a good one. Wait, what? Well, in our fantasy league, I drafted Justin Justin Tucker. Oh, you were the first out. one
1: to draft a kicker.
3: I'm pretty positive. I, I can't imagine anyone's drafted before K- Tucker. So yeah i go for it early you could have no. just
1: waited and drafted matt gay in the last round and you would have well, just. listen fine.
3: not all of us have this insider knowledge about who matt gay is <laughs> and how good he is and his
1: favorite you know box of cereal and stuff like you do shout out to my guy matt gay um also want to give a shout out to todd miller a long supporter of the show gave us a, a nice uh, little super chat here happy holidays Gat Crew kills it with the best Bolts content. Keep up the good work. Uh, We do our best. Thank you so much for all of you guys who support the show. And obviously, we hope everyone has a happy holidays. Uh, I am officially on Christmas break. I am so relieved to have a little vacation from work. Uh, So I hope anyone else that works in the education industry is also having a uh, wonderful Christmas break.
3: I am currently on bachelor's degree break because I finished (laughs) my last assignment yesterday. Um, and I'm I'm a graduation date and everything, so uh, I'm done. I'm done. I did it. Making moves. Let's go.
1: All right, let's piece get of some of these. <laughs> it is expensive. <laughs> very, very expensive pieces of paper going around in this group today. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get some other questions in here. Uh, for what it's worth, Craig did confirm that they uh, were doing the tomahawk chant. I know that they also tried to do the. <laughs> the whole home of the chiefs thing that they always do, uh, which is also uh, another irritating thing that chiefs fans do, but you know, it is what it is.
3: The chiefs were the ones who booed the Texans and chiefs was it them locking arms together. But um, after some, I forget what event it was. And yeah, yeah. yeah that's at, the, that's at the anthem. Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. Chiefs fans. It's like, it's like, <laughs> again, people are like, Oh, I don't want to go to the Raiders games because they fight and whatever. And yeah, that's true. That should, that happens. But, I'd rather not go to a game with the Chiefs fans or Patriots fans because some fans just there's these young bandwagon fans, they don't act like they've been there before and they don't have this, you know, maturity to them like oh yeah, our team's all so goddamn, yeah. it's all this new energy and it, it just I hate it. And the fact that they were doing that is as disgusting. I I can't believe that they would watch someone on the ground unconscious or shaking or carried off in a stretcher and start a chant. That's just
1: I don't, that's beyond my understanding of how a human should work. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, All right. Again, ask us some questions. I know that there was, where was that one about Justin Herbert? Okay. Victor wanted to know any concern Hmm. with the amount of interceptions that Justin Herbert has thrown this year. Uh, Arjun, why don't you go ahead on this one first? Um,
2: I, I don't have any, any concern. I think, you know, frankly, um, as an analytics guy and as someone who's like, you know, watched a lot of football, like I think interceptions can be overrated by fans, like in terms of evaluating quarterbacks, you know, like a lot of times interceptions can just be a, a dropped pass. Like what we saw with Eckler against, against the Broncos, it could just yeah. be, you know, the receiver, you know, not making a play on the ball. It could just be, you know, ultimately A 50 50 ball that the defender makes a good play on, like the Chidobe Awuzie pick against the Bengals. There's just a lot of things that can be unfortunate, like, unfortunately, can go wrong for an interception to happen. Doesn't mean the quarterback's bad, doesn't mean they're not able to read defenses. Like, Herbert threw a freaking ball off Cam Hayward's helmet against the Steelers that turned into a pick. (laughs) And didn't this, the same thing kind of happened, right, against the Chiefs? How was it? It was definitely a tipped pass. pass. Yeah. And like, it, it's so weird. Herbert's 6'6", and he has like one of the highest number of batted passes in the league. Yeah. It's, it's absurd. But like, yeah, I mean, I'm not too worried about the interceptions. I, I do think like it, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't measure aggressiveness at all, but it does mean, you know, Herbert could have been unlucky in a lot of situations. I think that's something I'm trying to look into in the off season. Like, you know, mm-hmm. how many interceptions are, you know, a case of drops and all that. But that, that's a, that's another thing I'll look into for PFF, I'm sure, later in the season.
3: Yeah, no, I, I have no worries about his interceptions. His you know turnover-worthy play rate, I'm sure, is very low compared to a lot of guys. It's yeah. certainly lower than Joe Burrows. Um, but there's like <laughs> four interceptions that were his fault, really, like bad decisions. Otherwise, it was, you know, Allen gets undercut in a route against the, the Cowboys. And then and Allen falls in the end zone against the Cowboys. Against Baltimore, oh. goes off of Cook's hands and in- intercepted. Um, and against the Patriots, off of Eckler's hands, intercepted. And then Cook and Herbert have the miscommunication. That's a pick six. Um, Minnesota, that was on him. Pittsburgh, tip pass off of Hayward. Denver, off of Eckler's hands. One was on him. Bengals, it was a shot kind of punt sort of thing that did hit Palmer in the hands, which is a good play by the defense. And against the Chiefs, it was a batted pass. So it's not like he's forcing the ball so right. unnecessarily and getting picked off. Like, I think he's played really 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 clean football this year and you know he has 12 it's more than last year but i could probably eliminate eight of them you know as as his fault i don't think he's really thrown more than four or maybe five that were really on him maybe if you want to say that he's staring down guys too much um and that's why he's getting padded passes maybe but otherwise not i have no worry about this he's he's just a clean
1: quarterback who takes care of the football yeah, and my biggest thing with turnovers has always been, you know, are you making bad decisions or are they yeah. kind of fluky, you know, bad passes or like good plays by the defense and I think you know, we've seen kind of a mix of of all of that with Justin Herbert, but the the most important thing is that the interceptions that come off of bad decisions are very very minimal and you know, that is a good thing. He has zero turnover worthy plays under pressure over the last like 4 or 5 weeks, so um, that's really my biggest thing is, are you making good decisions throughout the game and are mm-hmm. the interceptions, something that you can control or is it kind of just out of your hands? And I think that's, that's, uh, really my biggest thing. Um, Todd points out, uh, lost in the fourth down talk is Mike Williams, not ready for the hot read on the last drive. Herbert nearly hit him with the ball and would have had a huge, would have been a huge gain, excuse me, to uh, field goal range or even a touchdown. That was brutal. Yeah. Mike Williams did not have a good game. You know, I'm sitting there looking at the pro football focused stats and seeing, you know, seven targets and three catches for Jared cook and nine targets and three catches for Mike Williams. He dropped a touchdown, dropped a big game as Todd is pointing out here. So, um, you know, Mike Williams has had a big opportunity the last two weeks to kind of, Build some momentum towards the end of the season and really kind of solidify his case for a long term contract. First, last week playing without Mike Williams, this week, you know, they really counted on him in several clutch opportunities, and he just really did not take advantage of that. So, um, I think that's a good point. Mike Williams not really playing his best ball down the stretch, which, um, is definitely going to have some uh ramifications in the offseason.
3: Yeah, I'm. It's so tough because, I mean, the last time they played the Chiefs, he was like the reason that they won that game almost. Uh, In in this game, I had to leave to go watch Spider-Man No Way Home, so I didn't see that last drive. So I I don't know exactly the play that he's referring to here. But there's a couple of times like, okay, he'll win the 50-50 ball down the the, the sideline. And then on another play, you know, Ward or whoever it is, is kind of just like like he can't turn around and get, I don't know. It's so frustrating to watch him drop passes in the end zone where they should be pretty simple pitch and catches yeah you know i mean against the vikings that would have changed the dynamic of the game i'm sure maybe the vikings wouldn't have gone for it on fourth down you know maybe they would just punt it away or it would kick the field goal instead or whatever um you know they dropping that easy walk-in touchdown dropping the touchdown against the chiefs i mean you can't drop pretty simple touchdowns in one score games and you know, I, I'm, it's great that he's good at the 50-50 ball, but if you can't be consistent down-to-down, same can be said of Jared Cook, and I think Jared Cook's far less explosive, you have no business being on the team. Like, this team, if the offense is going to work like it is, and yeah, you want the chunk plays too, but you need to be efficient, and you might need 10, 12 plays to get to the end zone. And if you, you know, go all the way there, and you're just dropping an easy touchdown in the end zone, it's not even like a drop, it's like a... He's late to even get his hands up to catch the football, hit him in the chest, sort of thing. Like, I expect that from Jalen Guyton, maybe not Mike Williams, not at this point in his career. It's just really, really frustrating. And you know, I don't want them to break up this wide receiver room, but he's making it very difficult to want to bring him back because it's just kind of a disappearing act that happens. It's not for lack of targets. I like him. You know, I, I think he can improve, and and he, he could he have the game, the play of the game in the postseason, maybe. But right now, it's just, it's just so hard to trust him so consistently. And if and if Allen's hurt, Allen's banged up, someone's got to step up. And listen, that catch from Palmer was a big deal. I don't huge. really, huge deal. I mean, unfortunately, they didn't win, but it was a huge, huge catch. I think you got to lean into that. At some point, hands have to matter. And if Williams just, I mean, I'm surprised they didn't credit him, PFF didn't credit him with a drop on either situation um, in, on that first drive. I think there's at least one for sure. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, his his drops this year, just bad moments. They're bad drops. And he either needs to fix it or they need to move on because it's just, it's not worth it. It's not worth, worth not having a touchdown because you can't catch a ball in the end zone multiple times in one score games. So I, I'm ready to kind of start turning things to Palmer. But um, I don't know. It, it's probably premature, but Palmer deserves more.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you can't bench Mike Williams for Palmer. Um, I mean, Mike's only 36 yards away from a 1,000-yard season, right? Like, him and Keenan will probably be the first duo, like actual receiver duo, not Kelsey and Hill, to reach that milestone this season. So I don't think you can really, like, not pay him. I think there's going to probably be teams that are willing to overpay for him, which, you know, I don't know what the Chargers are going to do even though they have, you know, so much cap space this season. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think he's developed into more of a 50-50 guy. I think Herbert, if if we're talking about 50-50s, Herbert needs to understand that you can't overthrow third and long deep shots. You have to underthrow it to draw DPI. (laughs) And also, you underthrow it so that it can also be picked so it's a glorified punt. So we don't have to go through the whole punt block BS that, you know, you know, it kind of stops my heart every time long, long catches the ball because like low key if Herbert underthrew that ball to Keenan Allen on that third and 15 on the last drive, you know, it, I feel like oh, Keenan yeah. is good enough to draw a DPI, but Herbert's arm is just way too strong that he's, he doesn't under throw balls. He's always going to give his receiver a chance. Um He's not Carson Wentz in that sense. So, but that was, a, that was, that was a funny
1: discussion I was having with some of my friends, you know, while the game was going on. Yeah. The, the best play in sports, right. You know, you throw, you under throw a ball and you get 50 yards out of it. So, um, you know, it, I, I said this a few weeks ago, I feel like the franchise tag is is kind of where things are trending towards for Mike Williams. Uh, then you can kind of reassess where Josh Palmer is at. You hopefully add some more talent into the room, uh, and and bring some more speed in for sure. Um, but I, I think things are trending towards a franchise tag for Mike Williams. Um, and then they'll kind of reassess in 2023. Um, fun question here from Thomas Martinez. At this point, uh, with the playoffs coming up, and obviously Chargers trending towards a wild card berth, who would you most rather have a rematch against? The Chiefs, the Bengals, the Ravens, or the Patriots? Arjun, we'll uh, let you go first this time.
2: Um, I think so. I I think we had this question last week with Alex. Um, I mm-hmm. think my my answer was the Bengals. Um, and honestly, like I, I, I'm kind of going to change my answer just because I think the secondary depth has been so bad this season that like, I don't know if we're capable of handling three, you know, top targets. Uh, I I think I'm going to switch my answer to the Ravens. Actually, I think, I think Steely should be smart enough to be able to make adjustments to a, you know, an offense that killed them. This defense is probably not going to be where it, it used to be. Even though, you know, Harbaugh and Martingdale are, are good coaches. I think the Ravens are just way too banged up to make some noise in the playoffs. Um, and you know, I, I don't think their passing game has been good at all. I think they've put Lamar Jackson in bad and Huntley in bad situations, you know, and I'm confident that you know, this coaching staff would be able to make some adjustments the second time around um and you know injuries are obviously huge for the Ravens and you know we wouldn't have to worry about like covering that trio versus any other receiving group
3: this is a good question uh I don't want anything to do with the Patriots even though I think they're a completely beatable team just Chargers and Patriots is Chargers and Broncos it's almost the same thing to me just it just does not work I don't know why it doesn't work <laughs> out so not them uh, Ravens would probably have the weakest team by the time this you know, rolls around. They might not even have a quarterback at the rate he's going. So, I mean, sorry to Tyler Huntley, uh, Stephen, my bad. But, you know, <laughs> okay. they're just so depleted and yeah. everything went so wrong for the Chargers in that game and so right for the, 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 the Ravens that, you know, you'd hope things kind of average out and they win. I want this Chiefs team. And, you know, I, I just really want this Chiefs team there's you can't convince me the Chargers couldn't have put up 50 points uh, on Thursday, honestly, other than the fact they didn't have enough drives. But they they could have walked up and down that field, even with Jones in, if Slater were in, I, and if Eckler were healthy, I think they could have put up 40 something points kind of at will. I mean, to have also that just the confidence that they had, I think, in general, outside of the you know Parham being hurt, I think the defense had to regroup. But everyone played really, really hard for about 98% of that game um it's a familiar opponent you know you can kind of limit Mahomes um you're assuming at that point that James and Samuel Jr are healthy or at least available for the game for most of the game and like i wouldn't mind going to Kansas City like i just the chargers have something where they kind of can go to Kansas City and win i think right. they know that and i think that's kind of you know kind of helps them and it's a familiar opponent so i'd go with them the only reason that i would have also gone with the bengals or gone with the bengals instead is because Bengals offensive line isn't very good. Burrow turns the ball over and the Chargers shredded that defense. And I think if you can shred the defense, you, you have a quarterback who's capable, who turns the ball over and an offensive line that isn't that good. Yeah, I think it's a really good recipe to, to, I mean, they almost blew out the Bengals. They just came back because of some, you know, Eckler fumbled the ball two times, but they almost blew out that team. So yeah. I think I would, but again, Chiefs, like I want that rematch, no matter what, I want that rematch it might not happen, but I want it.
1: No, I'm I'm with Tyler on this one. I want the Chiefs rematch the most. That being said, I think that's probably the least likely first-round matchup because I think the Chiefs are kind of trending towards uh, getting that first overall seed. Um, if you would have asked me this question a month ago, I would have said the Ravens to avenge the, the terrible loss, but they are so banged up at this point. Uh, I know that technically Lamar Jackson has a short-term injury and has a chance to play tomorrow. Um, but they're just, they're not even close to healthy. And, and, and so I think they're lower on the list. Uh, if you could tell me that we play the Patriots at home, sure. I would take that rematch. I'm not playing at Foxborough unless I absolutely have to. So, um, that would be like my least preferred matchup of the playoffs of the possible playoff scenarios is going to Foxborough. Uh, so please don't make that happen. Um, so yeah, I think it's Chiefs for me and then probably the Bengals and then Ravens Patriots.
3: Cool. Um some, a couple people have been asking what do, what are the odds we win out? What do you think the record is the rest of the way? Yeah, have- I, I mean
2: yeah, yeah, I, I think it's I think it'd be a 3 now. I think you know it's like it's one of those things where uh, like Raiders are such a tough team because like they always have this, like, stretch where they just play, like, ass. And then – but, <laughs> like, this they, – they could just turn – like, I don't know. I feel like they could just turn it on at any time. You know, they they haven't had D-Wall. They haven't – you know, the offensive line has been mm-hmm. awful. But, you know, we're going to Las Vegas. You know, they're that's a tough atmosphere to play in. You know, it's going to be a – hot like, a division games are always more important. Um, And then, you know, Broncos, obviously, like, that – I don't know what that game's going to be like. Uh, but, you know, if – We got to take care of the Texans. Hopefully, you know, you got to win, got to cover, and then I'll feel a little more confident about, you know, going to another rest of the way. Uh, But but Broncos is probably the toughest test just because they're also in the playoff race and they have something to play for.
1: Yeah, um, they should definitely beat the Texans and definitely beat them easily. Um, I'm a little a little more worried about the Broncos game. The Broncos are obviously the best team on the schedule. Um, That being said, I'd be surprised if the chargers got swept by the Broncos this year. Um, And then the Raiders, I think at that point are going to be out of it again. uh, They're throwing a fit this week because they have to play the the COVID game on Monday, as opposed to tonight. Um, But you know, we'll see kind of what team the Browns are able to field on Monday night. Um, but I mean, I expect the Chargers to go three and oh, that, that should be the expectation. It's just a question of, will they, but I think the Broncos game is, is the likely, the most, the, the the biggest opportunity to drop a game would be against the Broncos in my opinion.
3: Yep. Agree. I have them going three and oh, not playing at Denver is great. They're playing at home. Don't think they'll lose. Uh, just tell me who the left guard is that game. (laughs)
1: well hopefully it's Matt Feiler man who uh killed Dan Sorensen on a play on on Thursday night it was just fantastic to watch um Dustin asked who has the green dot when Derwin is out it's been Kaiser White uh Kaiser White called plays against the Giants um and he called plays on uh Thursday night after Derwin went down so there was even a point where they like took the green dot off of Durban's helmet and put it on Kaiser's helmet when even in the first quarter, when Duran was uh, rotating. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that Kaiser was calling place from the get-go on Thursday night. Uh, and obviously it feels like he's, you know, done a good job. And uh, someone asked earlier, you know, who the highest priority free agents are on this specific team. Uh, for me, it's Kaiser white number one. Uh, and I don't really think it's all that close because I think he's playing at such a high level. He's such a good fit for this team and this roster um and so kaiser white is is my top uh personal free agent on this team for next year for the offseason outside of derwin james well derwin's not technically a free agent (laughs) yeah sure yeah
2: yeah they got i mean they got money extending
1: extending derwin is priority number one for the whole offseason wait 18
3: 19 20 21 oh shit never mind my bad yeah because he's he's on the fifth year
1: option for next year
3: Okay, yeah, sorry. I, like, I, like I said, I graduated, but i have a bio major, so I,
1: I didn't do the math on that one, my bad. Good at science, not at math. Yeah. A um, couple people asking about Asante. Um, he tweeted after like all the warm-ups and, and the inactives list came out, obviously the, like, the heartbroken emoji, so it seems like he was kind of expecting to play. I feel like if this were a game being played tomorrow, he probably does play. Mm-hmm. And so I would expect... Asante Semyon Jr. back next week. You know, this uh, little mini buy here gives him another 10 days to get ready. So I would expect Asante back next week. Yeah, no, I, I would hope so. I mean, they have a mini buy and then they basically have a buy and then it's the Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So get, get him some good, uh, easy reps against like Nico Collins next week and uh, Davis Mills or and the Texans passing attack. Um, so I, I think, you know, obviously, Arjun, you wrote an article about Derwin for PFF earlier this year. And, you know, obviously he's kind of, I would say, exceeded expectations for this season, if we're being completely honest. I think he, you know, has really established himself as the best safety in the league um, when healthy, of course. So what kind of contract do you think we are uh, looking at for Derwin James in the offseason? Yeah, I mean, I think...
2: uh uh, it, it's. I think he's going to reset the market when he does get an extension. The only the the, the thing is like Telesco has generally waited until the fifth year of of his first round picks uh, contract to extend a player. So we saw that with Bosa, um, you know, where it looked like he was going to hold out last year, and then he extended him like right before the season started. Um, I don't know what he's gonna do with Derwin if if they let Derwin play out his contract, which I really hope he doesn't. And I, I genuinely think that the Charters have have not been smart in staying ahead of the market. Um obviously you're not gonna pay Derwin James when um when he's hurt. I wouldn't have supported that. But I don't like I just don't know what they value him as. Obviously, you know, we think he's the best safety in the game because he pro- he definitely is with all the things that he can do. And people he can cover um i i personally see him as getting like like it's tough i think so jamal's making like 16 or 17 right 17 and a half i think yeah so derwin's getting at least 18. yeah Yeah, he's gonna get at least 18 probably around 18 and a half 19. um i and you know derwin's contract uh his his uh, agent david mulugueta from athletes first represents you know, pretty much the top athletes at, at the position negotiated Kevin players. Byard, Yeah, Kevin Bayard's deal, which reset the market. Buda Baker, I'm pretty sure reset the market, right? Like it, it Derwin's gonna reset the market at some at some point. It's just a question of how much because you also have guys, Marcus Williams, Jesse Bates, who've been healthy, who put up years of, of good play for their respective teams. So the thing is Chargers, if Chargers make the move first to sign Derwin before Williams and Bates sign their deal, they could get him for 18, 18 and a half. But once Williams and Bates sign a deal for more than Adams, the Chargers are going to have to pay Derwin like a little more than what a safety should be getting, which is not what you want,
1: even though hey, he's uh, worth the money. Do you guys know where Marcus Williams went to school by chance? Is it Utah? Utah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's at> Utah. <Utes. laughs> just had to just had to point that out um you know the the safety market is is really interesting because you have uh jamal adams 17 and a half harrison smith at 16 which i think he's worth it justin simmons at 15.25 uh his extension came just this past year right like this past Mm offseason um buddha baker at 14.75 eddie jackson 14.6 uh kevin byard 14.1 Tyron Matthew 14, Landon Collins 14, Devin McCourty, 11.5, and uh, John Johnson rounds out the top 10 at 11.25. So I don't, I, I love Marcus Williams, obviously, you know, Utah guy. I'd be pretty surprised if he resets the market, um, especially mm-hmm. with the Saints given their situation yeah. financially. Um, so maybe you look at, um, Jesse Bates is a guy who kind of resets the market. I do think he is worth it. I do think he is a top safety in the league. Um, but I definitely agree. You know, the sooner the extension comes, the better. Um, but that being said, if they end up paying Derwin James $20 million a year, like, I'm okay with that. I think he's worth it. And, you know, the cap continues to go up and up and up. And uh, it's confirmed at $208 million next year. So I'm okay paying Derwin James $20 million a year if that's what it takes. And I think he's worth it.
3: Yeah, no, I really don't care. I mean, I I would, I would more nickel and dime with Mike Williams if I had to, but screw it. German James, I don't care. I really don't care what they pay him. And it won't be anything egregious. Like it won't be some crazy overpay. So, yeah, pay him whatever he wants. And uh, we'll enjoy the, you know, his time with the team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we'll wrap up a couple things here. Uh, Thomas Damsex paying overpaying for a small linebacker, pretty much. Um, couple of people asking about Brian Bulaga. Uh, I've received tons of questions on Twitter about Brian Bulaga. I have said from the beginning I do not expect him to be back this year. If he is, fantastic. You know, obviously that helps with the depth situation on the offensive line. But I do not expect him back. He was at the practice facility, I think, two weeks ago. Uh, so that's there's really no update. I, I don't think he plays the rest of the season. Yeah, and let's not
2: let's not jump into this Trey Pipkin's bandwagon because he had <laughs> a, a good game. We saw this with Storm Norton, first good start against Washington. You know, Chiefs pass rush is pretty solid. I'll give them that. Washington's pass rush at the time was really good. And then we saw what Storm Norton became, allowed the fourth most pressures of any tackle heading into this game. So let's not overreact and say Trey Pipkin's was like this. You know, he had a good game, but let's not – act like he should be our starting right tackle. Like he's still a he's still a swing yeah. tackle at his, you know, that's what his value is. So make sure let's make sure that we don't, you know, jump on this train that shouldn't be leaving the station.
1: Now that's that's the best case scenario for Trey Pipkins. <laughs> um obviously, you know, I, I'm gonna sit down and watch the film here in a little bit actually. Um so we'll see really how Trey Pipkins played. The fact that he only gave up three pressures, it's great um you know for whatever reason he plays well against the Chiefs and like not good against anybody else um but you know I'm I have a feeling that I'm gonna go watch this film and see that they did a lot of scheme things to help him and Storm Norton out and that's okay you know Trey Pipkins did his job I was impressed with what he did uh as a run blocker during the game more than anything else um but they needed a good game from Trey Pipkins and they got one of course, I, I, like I said, I'm sure the scheme and the game plan really kind of helped facilitate that things. Uh, and, and same thing goes for Storm Norton. I mean, he allowed zero pressures against Melvin Ingram and, and Frank Clark. That's fantastic. Uh, or wait, it was one pressure, excuse me. Wait, yeah, one pressure. Um, so, you know, a lot of that's going to be scheme, but they played well. They deserve credit for it. Uh, I'm still adding multiple tackles next year because I think, you know, <laughs> you really need to kind of upgrade from Brian Balaga and upgrade a swing tackle position if you can. Um, but that's just me.
3: Yeah. No, congratulations to him. We were all kind of worried. And I think it was Arjun in the chat was like over under one and a half drives or <laughs> gives up the stack.
1: And
3: yeah. Like, and, uh, we, I think we took the over and we were right, but, uh, yeah, no, good for him. I'm curious to see how that game worked out. Um, but yes, I, I'm not on the bandwagon for Pipkins after one game. We've seen it, like Archon said, go bad already this year yeah. with Norton. And then we just also kind of have already seen Pipkins play tackle. I hope. If, he, if he's developed somehow since the preseason, awesome. Great. But he also gave up nine pressures, three sacks, three penalties <laughs> in the preseason. And I couldn't tell you who he was facing. So, you know, yeah. good for him for one game, though. Like that does give me some comfort moving forward if the situation pops up.
1: Yeah, there was a point in the preseason where the Chargers had basically the third string offensive line in and Trey Pipkins was still the worst one on the offensive line. So um, played very well on Thursday night. Team did what they had to do. He did what he had to do. Uh, But I'm excited to go watch this film. And I can't believe that I'm saying that. You know, I'm excited to go see how Trey Pipkins did on film. So um, this was absolutely the best case scenario for him hopefully he continues right because this right now is one of the worst picks of Tom Telesco's tenure. Um, And if he does become a valuable swing tackle, then I think that kind of pivots. So obviously rooting for that to happen. Um, All right. This has been a great Q and a, thank you guys so much for tuning in here. Uh, Arjun Tyler, thank you for joining me Uh, and we will see you guys next time. I think because of Christmas coming up next week, we'll probably go live on Wednesday because Friday is Christmas Eve, I know that, Um, but we'll let you guys know for sure. Um, Enjoy the Sunday relaxation. We get football on Monday and Tuesday as well this week, so hopefully you guys have some fun. And uh, Tyler Arjun, we'll see you guys later.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.